Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Kuiper Collective podcast. Uh, my name is Branson Parler, and today I'm joined by Dr. Jeff Fisher. Uh, we both teach theology at Kuiper College, mm-hmm. and uh, we're excited to be with you today uh, to engage in a topic that is uh, difficult, a topic that is uh, both theologically, I think, significant, but also has practical ramifications and, and is also very much uh, an emotional topic, a topic that uh, you can't just bracket your head and think about this intellectually, uh, but but really affects our, our lives. Uh, and, and so the topic we want to engage and think a little bit about today is the question of bearing arms in church. Uh, over the break, yeah. this was in the news because right. of uh, somebody who went into a church in Texas uh, and was stopped, lethally so, by somebody who was armed uh, in the church. And it's just it's interesting to see different people's responses to that, whether they thought it was a good thing, whether they thought it was a bad thing. And so part of what we want to do today is um, not so much give you sort of the right answer, because we acknowledge this, this is a complicated mm-hmm. topic. It's a complicated uh, biblical and theological topic. It's a complicated topic for for pastors and churches to to wrestle with how to think about this. Uh, and so, uh, but what we do want to do is is at least start to dig in to say here here here's a path for thinking. Here are some things we do need to wrestle with as we think about this particular topic uh, together. And so it's so it, it's it's kind of a heavy topic, but I think it's worth digging into and and wrestling with uh, a bit because it's. It's something that churches are thinking about, something right. Christians are thinking about. Um, and so we, we want to do that together, and hopefully that's that's helpful as we talk through these things. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, it seems like this isn't an issue that we can just ignore, that it's a very practical, like, churches have to think through this and make decisions on what is our policy going to be, what is our practice going to be, do we cut everything out and say no, Um do we have security officers only who are, you know, specifically can have weapons? Um, yeah, it's definitely something that has to be addressed. Yeah, yeah. And so I think if we if we come at this from the biblical theological perspective, you know, part of what I think we have to acknowledge why this is is um, is a key topic is because there's something good worth protecting right that we acknowledge we both uh, have kids right uh, yeah it, <laughs> we want so our kids protected it's not a hypothetical and we question. do other things to ensure protection in church buildings and other buildings and yeah yeah how, how far does it go how far can it go yeah and so and so i mean in that it, so it's even interesting to think about how is this shaped by for example or, or how do other institutions like a public school right which is not um sort of a faith-based institution uh, or, or all kinds of other public gathering spaces. What do they do to ensure safety? But I think one of our, uh, the question then is for the church, uh, we are not just a, an institution like these other institutions. Yeah. And so when we think about what we're doing, I think we would like, just like a sports stadium or uh, like a concert venue mm-hmm. or a school say, we want people who gather here uh, to be safe. Uh, that human life is good, yeah. that we value this, and we want to make sure that that is uh, protected. Uh, part of the question, though, is how? Right. And how do we do that in a way that uh, is faithful to the witness uh, that we're trying to have as as God's people? 
Uh, and so one of the things that I think about when I, when I think about setting it up that way is to say, this is something good, but as we gather as a church, we have to ask ourselves, what is our ultimate purpose in gathering together? Mm-hmm. Uh, it is survival is not, <laughs> not the purpose. It, it's not the, it's not the purpose. It's not the be all and end all, yeah. uh, which is, again, is not to say it's not something good, right? but we're saying there's something even more important than that, that, that shapes why we get together, that we are, that we are gathering to, to worship God, uh, to, uh, fellowship with one another. Uh, and that there's something about that witness that, Again, I think we would say that if there, if certain things were to happen in a church context, we would say that's not consistent with why we're gathering together, or that that doesn't fit yeah. with with why we're here. Um, and, and so, again, this involves a lot of of potentially controversial biblical right. discussion. But but I would I would argue that part of our witness uh, is uh, this posture of um, peaceableness, uh, and it's a posture of that is willing to uh, love your enemies, which doesn't mean let your enemies do right. anything, whatever they want, whatever yeah. they want. Uh, but it does mean uh, that w- we have to be able to answer this question. How does what you're doing bear faithful witness to mm-hmm. Jesus? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... I think when you an- when you ask the question that way, you have to say e- even if there are things in our responses that may look similar to concert venues or sports stadiums or public schools, uh, that there has to be some kind of difference there because of who we're trying to bear witness to. Right. Um, and so the idea that life is important or that, that these people are my people and I'm going to protect them. I think it's fair to say that that's not just a Christian impulse, that that's a, that's a natural human impulse that when I see uh, countries or families or people wanting to defend themselves uh, from harm, defend themselves against outsiders, I would say that what is being born witness to is that kind of love of yeah. my group, right. love of my people. Um, but I'm not sure then if, if that, that, well, I will say, I am sure <laughs> <laughs> that as Christians, part of, part of the call that is laid upon us is uh, this call to love, not just those who are part of our in-group, not just those who are part of our family, but even those who might seek to do us harm. Right. Um, Jesus' language about loving enemies, again, doesn't mean let them do whatever they want, but it does mean how do you think about opening up possibilities for transformation of the enemy yeah. or opening up possibilities for bearing witness to the love of God, which doesn't just return like for like, right. which isn't just if you do me a favor, I'll do you a favor. Um it, it goes beyond that. And so if if Christ died for us while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, what does it look like for us to think about how we bear witness uh, to that in in how we yeah. in how we set ourselves up? I don't know. Does that 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 at least to me, that's gotta be the starting point for how we start to engage right. this. Yeah, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. 
and does people having guns in church, what does that communicate about what we trust in or who we trust? Um, is it naive to say, well, you know, we trust God, he's going to protect us, or is it you trust God because he's going to do protecting us by having people, whether it's security officers or whatever, have guns for those who are going to attack us um, or who might. I mean, that's the other piece of this. Like, it's not like it's all that common. It's not like we need defense every single Sunday. Um, it also makes me think, you know, so many times um, in, in church gatherings here in, in the United States, we thank God for the freedom we have to gather as worshipers. And so it's it's somewhat been, not in all contexts, but in many contexts in the U.S., a, a given that when we show up to church, we will survive because we have freedom to worship, which in other countries around the world is not always the case, that there might be persecution, oppression from people who disagree, even from governments themselves. Um, that's that's not always the same in the American context as in other places around the world. So, I mean, it just makes me, yeah, it makes me raise the questions that you're raising as well. What what is What does it communicate when we bring guns to church? to people within the community and people outside the community. Yeah. And so, and it's interesting, you bring up the the question of uh, how do Christians in other parts of the world where they would not take for granted uh, that we're going to gather and, and, you know, we have the right to gather and nobody should, you know, this should be something we do without any kind of repercussions or harm coming to us. There seems to be this almost expectation in right. many contexts that this is a dangerous thing to do, uh, that you may you may end up you know this may end up costing you something, right. maybe even your life, yeah. uh, for gathering together. Uh, and so, I th- part of my question when I look at that then is, what is the solution to that kind of uh, persecution? Would right. be you know if we hear about a church. <laughs> Uh, struggling in another part of the country, saying, man, there are people who are attacking them. Should our first response be, well, if we could provide them with more weapons, with more <laughs> guns, yeah, uh, then they wouldn't have that problem. It, from what I can tell, uh, usually when I, you know, you follow along with different prayer requests for organizations that work with churches who, right. are, who are in I've never seen That's a prayer not, request no. that says send yeah. more weapons or a donation request that says yeah what we need is yeah guns to help with these churches yeah yeah and I think and and I think in parts of the world where sometimes you have seen violence break out between different religious groups again it, it raises the question is is that what do right. we say well that's a good they should do that right that that if you have factions of Christians or Muslims or other groups kind of involved in actual warfare. Right. Would we say, yeah, that's, that's a really good thing. Let's keep doing that. Yeah. The, I mean, you think about like the crusades and stuff in the past as well. Like now we're like, we don't even, we either don't want to talk about them or we're like, well, we don't, we don't like that thing. So we're going to downplay it or say it really wasn't about that. Or those weren't real Christians. Um, yeah. But yet it's, it's, it's part of our Christian heritage that there is violence that has happened. Was that a good thing? Most, I think, would say no. Yeah, not something that you would want to. 
latch on to and say this is this right. is a positive. Um, and so part of that, I think, even I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder what the sort of implicit theology of suffering is yeah. uh, for many Americans. I think the implicit theology of suffering is uh, God doesn't want any suffering to happen to you. Right. Uh, God's plan for you is to make the road as easy as possible. Uh, God could never use you know, suffering and even death to bear witness to his kingdom. Which is ironically the opposite of what you actually see in the Gospels and the call to discipleship in the rest of the New Testament. Right. That I mean, in the, I think of the end of Luke where Jesus is re, hasn't yet revealed himself after he resurrected, and he's saying that the Messiah, didn't you realize that the Messiah had to suffer these things and die and rise again? Like, that's that's the, the nature of the story of the Messiah, it's the nature of the story of the Messiah's people as well, that God actually does bring redemption through suffering. Yeah, and that there's this, where you know we we have the same mindset as as Peter, where it's like, no, right. Lord, surely there, not. There, you, you're not going to have to wait. What right. are you talking about? Right, right? the cross. That's not, uh, you know, or or you know, looking around, how many swords we got? Right, we got two swords. Right. Uh, and Jesus is kind of like, that's enough. It, yeah. right, you, you're missing it. The one who lives by the sword will die by the sword. Yeah. And so I think part of that, I, but here's what I think happens. Uh, we, we view that kind of suffering um, through a certain lens that says, uh, God might call me to suffer through um, a difficult relationship. Right. God might call me to suffer through um, cancer. God might, God might work through those kinds of suffering, but if God puts other people or people groups, um, who are, who are persecuting me or doing something that was some kind of hostile action, some kind of hostile action that we've kind of bracketed that. And we've said, well, that is the kind of thing that you deal with with guns, right, or with 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 violence, um, and so I wonder if we kind of create these boxes for this kind of suffering, God can use, and I should be open to how Endure He might work through, through that. Right. Um, but this other kind of suffering is suffering that we should definitely take into our own hands. And and here's what I think is is here's what I think cements that is when you look at Christians around the world who don't have the ability to take that into their own hands. Right. I think they can more clearly see that, yes, even that kind of suffering, even that kind of persecution is something that God works through right. both uh, in them and in, in, in their broader context. It doesn't mean that it's good. It doesn't mean that we're saying no. like, oh, yeah, suffering, like right. torture and right. death. Uh, these are just great things. We're not calling bad things <laughs> good. Uh, but what we're saying is that in this strange, what I'm saying is that in this kind of strange gospel calculus, yeah. God works through those things and seems to call us to expect those kinds of right. things. Uh, but if we're if we're in a position of power where we kind of assume it's our job to eliminate as much of that suffering as is possible, even if it means we're not bearing witness to the kingdom, yeah. Then we should go ahead and 
and take those necessary steps to to eliminate that suffering. And so, I yeah, I, I just wonder of how much of that implicit theology of suffering. So let me, and I don't know if this I don't know if this is a fair connection or a bad analogy. So if if, if this doesn't make <laughs> sense, forgive me if it doesn't add up. So because I think about this with conversations I I have with other folks around topics like sexual ethics, a different ethical mm-hmm. discussion, where kind of the posture of some is God would never call you to do something that might involve suffering. Right. God would never call you to a path that might might actually call you to deny yourself, to give up something that's good. Right. Right. Something that might be in a lot of ways a crucial part of you, but it gets taken up into this bigger story of bearing witness to God's kingdom. Uh, and I wonder if there's an analogy here where, uh, again, we're saying there may be something good that we end up, in some sense, we're willing to let go of because we have a vision for what's better and how that gets taken up into God's mm-hmm. story uh, in ways that go beyond our ability to to understand or predict. But but both of those examples, I think, have people who oftentimes have this implicit theology of suffering who who would not be this outright you know health and wealth gospel, right. but yet at the end of the day, there's still this sense that for at least some dimension of our life. Uh, God wouldn't call me to suffering. That that's not a that that's not a piece of what He might be calling me to do in order to bear witness to this yeah. kingdom. And I'm sure a big part of that is because we don't actually face a high degree of suffering in our regular lives. I mean, maybe some of the examples you gave, people connected to us get cancer, things like that. But in many cases, a lot of us are not fearful for our lives on a regular basis. We don't have violence happening all around us. Um, the, we haven't really lived in a world that has, I mean, we've lived in a world, we haven't lived in a close proximity yeah. to things where suffering is a, a very real reality, um, like people, other people around the world and other people in other contexts here in the United States as well face on a much more regular basis. Um, because yeah, it, it again makes me think of global contexts. Um, some, you know, current but also historical African-American churches where there was cross burnings and things like that. I mean, there was a lot of fear and a lot of suffering. Um, Like you said, not all of them had the opportunity to bring guns in and defend themselves, but the testimony of what it was for that community to um, rally together, to not say, yeah, suffering is good, but to embrace that suffering and embrace that persecution and say there is something bigger and greater that we are still going to gather for worship. We're still going to trust Jesus. We're still going to live lives of faithfulness, um, even in the midst of that kind of persecution. To me, that seems like a bigger testimony of the gospel than bringing in guns and saying, well, we're going to defend our lives and we're going to attack those who attack us. Yeah. Yeah, at the end of the day, again, it's this question of what is, what are you bearing witness to? Yeah. And I think that's the power, you know, of somebody like a Martin Luther King Jr. who yeah. says it's not, the, in a lot of ways, well, he didn't say this, but this is, the medium is the message. Yeah. Your your posture, uh, this, this posture of willingness to accept suffering says something about the, actually the power of your message. And mm-hmm. uh, that when we think about the fact that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Yeah. I mean, th- this is this is the deeper question. What does it do to us spiritually when we become dependent on 
uh, our weapons. Yeah. When at the end of the day, that's what that's what we trust. Uh, the Old Testament seems pretty clear that it's not a trust God and carry the biggest stick. <laughs> I mean, the, I mean, the Psalms. Right. Some trust in chariots and horses, right. but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Right. I mean, the way that the Old Testament sets it up, um, having the biggest weapons, having the latest military technology, chariots and horses, is not a sort of good prudential arrangement to make in case God doesn't right. come through. Yeah. It's when you adapt these things, what it shows uh, is where your faith really is, right. where your trust really is. And this what again, here we have to remember for the people of Israel, it was a matter of literal Life physical survival. Yeah. Are we going to be able to be sustained as a as a people group yeah. in the midst of these hostile forces? And God tells them don't have a standing army. Right. Don't don't have these weapons that you know that what you see when they do adopt all those things <laughs> is exactly when they lose right. their ability to witness because they have yeah. a king like the other nations. Yeah. They have... Start uh, making alliances with other nations. Yeah. yeah. Which then adopts their religious practices and their gods. And yeah, there's a lot of things that fall apart when they start doing that. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's that's where we have to be careful. But I think it's interesting. So we mentioned the Mandalorian yeah. earlier. There's this line in the Mandalorian. I'm a Mandalorian. My weapon... What is it? Something like, my weapons are part of my religion. Yeah. Uh, and I this think is the way. this is the way. <laughs> and I think there's there's this real sense, even in the Old Testament, that that's true. Like what you people's approach to survival, yeah, uh, very much shows where their faith actually is. So we tend to think, especially in our context, we think of faith or trust or belief as kind of this, intellectual right. assent sign like, on this statement right so yeah. can i believe in god in the face of you know the atheists arguing against it or modern science you know can i really believe whereas for for the people of israel it was more this question of do you actually trust, trust. your day-to-day -day life so it was more about your political arrangements right. your again that the kind of weapons you are or not or are not using that's what reveals where your trust and, and faith really is so you can't say in god we trust but we're also going to have the biggest guns right like those are yeah th or they show what god you really are trusting and it, it's it's your guns uh in 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 that sense for them to to survive and so again i think this is where we have to be careful because i i haven't heard too many people reflect on what are the what are the spiritual effects right uh of uh, of thinking about this, and some people might say, "I'm, I'm willing to take the risk." Like it, it matter. What, what's most important to me is that if somebody comes in, uh, that I can take them out. Um, there are other ways of thinking, and this is on the more practical side. There are right. other ways of thinking about how do you respond uh, in in those kinds of situations. Most people would recommend that actually opening fire may not, not even on the practical right. side it, of things. Yeah. Uh, right. You have police, military professionals right. all the time who are engaged uh, and you have people being hurt, innocent, right. innocent folks. And so even on the practical side, which we aren't even digging into, there are questions about, yeah. is that really the best or most effective way? Yeah. I mean, in the active shooter training and all of that, I mean, that's one of the last resorts. And if you can avoid any kind of gunfire at all possibility, that's what you want. I mean, it's, you know, the run, run, hide, fight, you know, that kind yeah. of stuff that you, you don't, 
you don't immediately go to defending yourselves because there are other people there and there could be more casualties from something like that. Right. Right. Um, so this is, <laughs> this is heavy. I feel, I feel right. kind of the weight of, of yeah. this conversation, but I think, I guess what, what I hope that folks can take away from this is the desire to reflect deeper, not on a, I mean, as so many of these discussions do in our context, this is not a conservative versus liberal kind of approach to how we're thinking about guns in the culture as a whole or how to solve other problems of gun violence. It's the question of in a, in a culture filled with gun violence, how do do we we... faithfully witness to Jesus? Uh, And, and if we start from that place, um, hopefully asking those hard questions will, will help us because I think deep down, if, if, if you ask people, they would say, yeah, that is what I want to do. Is protect myself. Yeah. Is make sure that someone there has a gun that's going to keep out the intruder. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so, too. And and so if we can reframe this, again, so that it's, again, it, then it becomes more than just a, here's one particular issue. It brings us back to this bigger question of, what does it mean for us to follow Jesus? What right. does it mean to bear witness to God's kingdom? Is it going to look different? strange maybe sometimes even right. foolish in in yeah. the in, in the context of the broader culture i th- i think so yeah. but that's part of that part of the power of witnessing it is really that it is. doesn't make sense it doesn't yeah. add up it does seem questionable in this sense of question provoking right. about why are you why are you living this way why are yeah. you functioning this way well, this has been a good <laughs> and deep discussion, and I feel I feel the weight of it. But um, I hope it's been helpful for you as you've listened along with us. Uh, if you have thoughts, comments, questions uh, along these lines, we would we would love to engage. Uh, and so so track us down uh, and do that. Uh, so thanks for joining us again for the Kuiper Collective podcast. Uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you in the future.